Should we just pause and pray? Father God, we thank you for your word, for the way it speaks and ministers to us. We thank you for the way in which you can take reflections and words, Lord, and minister to each one of us in our individual uh, struggles and joys. So our prayer this morning, Father, is that through your word and through these reflections, you may speak into different lives here, that your spirit would reveal to each one of us what you would have us here, and that our lives may be transformed here this morning. This we ask through Christ, who is our Lord. Amen. I'd imagine, um, like me, that some of you have been to the Swedish temple that is Ikea. Um, I think the nearest one is Milton Keynes, if I'm right. Yes, again, nods back. Um, and in the store, you're guiding it around this sort of yellow, well, it's not brick, but yellow path around the shop. And you have um, images of creative genius before you. Uh, So you have these finished furniture products um, set in rooms that are made up so that the wardrobe goes with the bed, goes with the chest of drawers. The TV unit goes with the sofa that goes with the coffee table. Uh, And you have a vision of a finished product before you. And, of course, the invitation is to imagine that finished product, or at least part of it, in your own home. You are at that stage, the vision stage. You are seeing a finished product which you can touch, which you can use for its intended purpose, um, and which you you can see how it would benefit you if you were to buy it. Then you move beyond the vision stage. You buy the product in that warehouse... You heave the boxes onto a trolley. You work out whether your car will possibly take these multiple boxes. You can see I've shopped in Ikea on many occasions. And you get them home. Then you open the boxes and you realize, perhaps for the first time, that you have moved beyond the vision stage. That there is no longer this beautiful piece of furniture set before your eyes, but there is now a great array of nuts, bolts, and sections that you now have to assemble. Or pay some an extortion amount of money to do so on your behalf. You are now in the execution stage. And we made the joke at the 9.30 that the word execution has a dual meaning here because by the end of it you quite possibly want to be executed. (laughs) But I use it in the sense of putting together the plan um, that you have before you. And to enable me to move beyond Ikea and continue with the rest of this talk, we're going to make a bold and daring assumption here this morning, my friends. We're going to assume that all the pieces required for the assembly of this furniture item, which for the next few seconds we'll call a wardrobe, are actually in the boxes where they should be and haven't been left out, requiring you to phone the store, travel back to Milton Keynes, go to that area, generally just by the checkouts, where they have all sorts of spare parts for this eventuality, but apparently they can't put them in the box in the first place. So we're going to make the daring and bold assertion that everything you need for this assembly project is actually in the boxes. Do you know, the serious point here is that from time to time, we have to imagine or reimagine the future. 
So some things that might be going on in this body of people this morning could include sick form students um, having to, you know, or wanting to go to university, going and to taster days and imagining what life holds beyond school or college. It might be that there are families here expecting the birth of a child, perhaps for the first time, and seeking to imagine what life might be like upon the birth of that child. There might be people here who are imagining um, what a new career or job might look like for them, or trying to discern what the future would look like if they were to change career path and job. And poignantly here this morning, if we look back in history and seek to put ourselves into the lives of people around in 1914, we might just might be able to glimpse at what the future looked like when war broke out. And life for for those people was never going to be the same again. And we might just might be able to imagine the emotions of looking at raising children in that context, of looking at the impact it would have on people's career paths, because you know they, they may well have been conscripted, they probably were conscripted, about the effects on society of the ravages of war and a future significantly reimagined. Sometimes we find ourselves reimagining what the future holds. So you might want to have your Bibles in front of you. We were looking at Matthew 25. This parable tells us about ten virgins. Other translations use the words bridesmaids or maidens. And because it's a a parable about a wedding banquet, we're going to use the term bridesmaids for, for the purposes of this morning. The parable is familiar territory for Matthew's Jewish audience. In fact, the traditions it unpacks of bridesmaids waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom at an unannounced time persist to this day in parts of the Near East and elsewhere in our world. We're told that out of the ten bridesmaids, five were wise and five were foolish. The wise bridesmaids brought with them plentiful supplies of oil in their lamps, while the foolish bridesmaids were ill-prepared and they ran out of oil. Whilst they were refilling their oil stocks, the bridegroom arrives and the wedding banquet begins without those who were ill-prepared. Now this is a parable, which um, a parable is is a story with a special meaning. I've been teaching the vine um, pupils that for the last term. At the, vine, at the vine, they know that a parable is a story with a special meaning. And this is a parable which invites us to cling on to the hope of creation restored. It's a parable which invites us to imagine a future where suffering is ended, of an end to war and conflict, of pain and suffering being no more, the injustice of poverty being halted, and creation made completely, wonderfully, gloriously new. We were talking only last week about the barriers that that fear can put up in our lives. Well, one of the best antidotes I know to fear 
is to find a vision of the future strong enough to allow the hope of that vision to penetrate the fear of our present reality. Let me say that again. One of the best antidotes to fear is to find a vision of the future strong enough to allow the hope of that vision to penetrate the fear of our present reality. And God's offer of a new creation should be just that kind of hope-filled vision. But there's another message to this parable, which is that we're to keep our lamps charged with oil. We're to stay awake and to be alert because we don't know when it is God will come back and will he find us watching and waiting with expectant hearts and minds. And there's such an important message in this parable for us. The challenge, the caveat of, slow, of solely spending our time imagining the future is that we can take our eyes off the here and now and neglect the truth that not only does God have, yes, a plan, purpose and vision for our future, but he also has a plan, purpose and vision for our lives in the here and now. So I had the privilege of, of joining our young people at um, the Extreme Weekend Away just for a morning. And in that morning, the, the youth leaders were, were reminding those young people of the scripture that many of us will know from Jeremiah. That says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans, pl- <laughs> there we are. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah the prophet prophesying that God has plans and purposes for our lives. Both in the here and now and in the future. There was um, a German theologian called Jürgen Moltmann. He um, came to faith as a prisoner of war um, and, and, and in the prisoner of war camps. He was um, a German um, and he was, um, I think, conscripted into the auxiliary air force in Germany. Um, but he, his heart wasn't, wasn't in, in warfare. He wasn't a professional soldier. And he surrendered to the first British soldier that he met. And he spent the next... Um, so many years in prisoner of war camps, both in this country and in Belgium. And amongst the, um, the devastation of war and the imprisonment and suffering of the people who he found around him, there was an American chaplain to the prisoner of war camp who handed him a New Testament and Psalms. And Jürgen Moltmann began to read this and found an increasing dependence on Christ through the words of the Scripture Let's never doubt the power of God's word to impact our lives. Moltmann famously claimed, I didn't find Christ, Christ found me. What a wonderful thing that is, that, you know, finding God, finding the fullness of life that Jesus offers is not dependent on us, but that God can reach out to us and find us. And the reason I share this with you is because amidst the suffering of war around him, Jürgen Moltmann observed in the prisoner of war camps that those who had hope survived and survived better than those who didn't. 
in the middle of a time of great suffering when you could so easily be forgiven for losing hope and embracing fear and despair about your future, Maltman's observation was that if you had hope, and particularly hope in Christ, then you survived and survived better than those who didn't. And hope drives us forward as a Christian people to be part of God's plan uh, for the world. The five bridesmaids who had fought ahead and stocked their lamps with oil were the ones who were found ready when the bridegroom finally arrived and they entered the wedding banquet. So what does this mean for us? Firstly, to pray. You know, prayer is one of those things which you expect me to say time and time again. But until we root ourselves, we ground ourselves in prayer, we will never know the fullness of life God has for us. Prayer is our way of relating to the Father heart of God. And if we're not a praying people, then we're not inviting God's personal intervention into our lives and into the situations that we see going on around us. So we need to pray. We need to be inviting God to work in the situations uh, we encounter. You know, there's a quote from Maltman. Um, that says, God weeps with us so that one day we may laugh with him. God weeps with us so that one day we may laugh with him. Prayer invites God's power to work in our lives and in the lives of situations, to turn them from situations of despair into situations of hope. God can turn our mourning into dancing. So prayer. Secondly, like Maltman, we are called to increasing dependence on God. Go back, if you will, to, um, to my light-hearted analogy from Ikea. When you're assembling um, the wardrobe with all the bits uh, and nuts and screws and bolts and so on in front of you, unless you have in mind the finished wardrobe that you've seen in the store or the catalogue or that you've looked on the instructions and have taken into your mind's eye, unless you have that vision in, in, your, in your mind, your chances are so much depleted of realising something that ends up looking like that wardrobe you initially saw. Our vision is Jesus Christ. Unless we have Jesus Christ at the forefront of our minds and dwelling in our hearts in all situations, our framework for understanding life and the things that strike us is not going to be our faith. And so we're called to become increasingly dependent on God and on his grace so that in all things we ask, what would God have us do in this encounter, in this situation? We're called to let Jesus Christ be our vision. So we're called to prayer, we're called to be dependent on God, and thirdly, we're called to model our faith. There's, there's a proactiveness in the parable of the ten virgins that they had to prepare for the coming of the bridegroom. Um, that they had to charge their oil stocks and be ready for his coming, and that if they didn't, they would be found wanting. 
And not only did they have to charge their oil stocks, but they had to wait and wait and keep awake in the dead of night for the bridegroom to come. And we realize that actually, as, as God's people, we are called um, to reach out to the world around us with his love. In, in other words, we're called to model our faith. So much of the injustice, suffering, and conflict of the world around us is based on self-interest and the pursuit of power. We were only reminded last week from Ephesians that we are given gifts to use to help us lead the church, but those gifts are given to help us serve in that leadership. And I was talking about how there's an alternative there to the world around us, which is so often about power and control. And what God offers us is a model of life based on serving others. When we step outside control, self-interest, greed, and the pursuit of power, we allow ourselves to be open to the work of the Spirit, revealing through us the alternative life to which God calls people. We need to be a church, be a Christian body, who models the alternative life of love and service. So yes, dare to imagine what the future holds because we need to be that daring. We cannot just accept the reality of the present as the future of what will be. We cannot just accept as a Christian people that war and conflict and poverty and injustice and oppression and pain will continue. We have to hope for, in fact we're commanded to hope for, a better world a reimagined future, God's new creation fulfilled. But we are also called to accept that God has a plan, purpose and vision for our lives in the here and now. So don't let yourselves be told that you don't have a role yet because as we discussed last week, God has given us gifts to use within his body, the church, and in the service of others. God has a plan, purpose, and vision for both our future and our present reality. Go back to Matthew 25 briefly and observe that to enter the wedding banquet, the five bridesmaids had to first make preparations in the here and now. They had to be ready. And the five who didn't were found shut out of that wedding banquet. Let's pause and pray again. Help us to be ready and attentive, Father, to the work of your Spirit within us, that still small voice which prompts us to be involved in your work in the world, that still small voice which encourages us to speak words of love, grace and mercy into people's lives that spirit dwelling deep within us which excites us about your work in the world and about our part in it. And give us grace to follow you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. For we seek to be your people in this place. Amen.